But why would you brick that when you can use that to have access to all kinds of movement data, you know, communications and, and troop movement data? Why are we going uh, over this? Let's just talk. Were they able to We're not going to remember any of this shit I'm anyway. I'm going over it for JJ You're primarily. Like I already forgot boys. because I don't listen to you. All right. This is Beers with Hallows. Threats, Beers, and Hallows. Welcome or welcome back. This is Beers with Talos, episode 126. Today is September 9th, 2022, and we're joined today by our buddy JJ. Been a while since you've been on the podcast. How are you doing, JJ? Doing all right, man. You just slammed on the go button. Yeah, yeah. We'll have you get some of that. Well, I mean, I didn't want to waste any more time, right? I mean, we all appreciate you. Yeah, we're, we're already late in the day. For a Friday recording session. I mean, I feel like I should be several beers in at this point. <laughs> this is going to be a shit show. I am joined, as always, by Matt and Lorene, and JJ is with us today. Hi, Matt. Matt's waving. Wave into the YouTube crew. I'm always here. Well, I mean, as usual now, right? Sure, sure, yeah. We got a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, we plan on talking about uh, Ukraine. And, and, and the view of what we see on the ground is one of the reasons JJ is joining us today. And we have a couple different points of view present, or uh, I should say um, everybody here is coming from a slightly different place and we'll have a, a different come from on this topic. We want to look at the difference between what we may have expected or people may have anticipated as what cyber war would look like versus what we've seen on the ground so far and kind of approach it uh, from that point of view. But before we dig into the meat of the day, let's go around the table. Let's get an opening thought from everybody. Uh, JJ, I know you were probably still working on yours. So let's start with Matt today. So uh, I, <laughs> I'm excited about how great Twitter has been this week. Oh, my. Like there's there's like uh, there's th like for mo most of the time I avoid Twitter. But between whoa, oh no, I do, I do. Wow, no, I post do. Post Twitter links all the time. I avoid Twitter like all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. Yeah, there's a difference between avoiding Twitter and just not even having an account, Lorraine. Yeah, that that's is how that's, you avoid it. That turns is out, safer that Fair. way. It's a smarter way to do it. So, since we're talking about Twitter, we might as well just do a quick shout out to um, unexpected uh, beers with Talos fans, spicy chicken sandwich murderer. Um, <laughs> Just How you doing, Spice? Since it came up recently, um, uh, yeah, you have um, you have the death of Queen Elizabeth, uh, which has sparked all the reactions from Twitter on all across the entire spectrum. There is uh, lots going on in Ukraine to follow, and and we live in the era of video for everything, so you're getting to see aspects of 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 things that you would never see it just uh I, I like i like how mitch mitch kind of phrases it uh every now and then because of this tweet we will defend the internet for another day because it made me laugh enough <laughs> to, to move on there have been you bought yourself one more day yeah one more day internet <laughs> the the spicy takes on uh on twitter this this week and just ha and and just learning about all like Learning history and all kinds of things that we never knew. Uh, for for anybody listening to this, you know, in the in the weeks and months that follow, when we're originally producing this, uh, her 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 Majesty Queen Elizabeth II uh, passed away yesterday. At this time, 
So this was our discovery of Irish Twitter and, and their very candid thoughts on the issue, as well as some interesting history lessons being poignantly pointed out from around the world. That I was think, uh, kind of a big go-to. I think the, the I think kind of the points was where you were like, I am just going to read Irish Twitter today. And I was like, do not sleep on black Twitter because they have some things to tell you as well. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's well, to which I respond, where the hell do you think I learned about Irish Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> All the handshake and dancing memes of, of it's a, a social media. If you cut out the awful, horrible, occasionally is just the most amazing and fascinating thing where you can experience, like you get to experience this world event. And I'll be honest, so I'm an American in on the East Coast, of the United States. I've I lived in England for three years when I was younger, but I don't. I'm not particularly moved by by the death of Queen Elizabeth. But boy, howdy, it has consumed my timeline for the last two days, and in in just amazing ways. I just it's a it's a weird part of human history like there's aspects of it that are probably very functionally useful like in, in when i when i was growing up like in the 90s 80s and 90s um there wasn't a way to like really experience how groups that you aren't a part of experience events uh very often it's very very rare um that you would have some window into this if you you're a now, white dude in america i think it's true for well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody gets to see the white dude in america view uh, and their view, yeah. but 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 they don't get to see other people's view, and so yeah, no, absolutely, and you can now, and so I think that is sometimes healthy. I think what you're saying is like occasionally, despite all odds, the promise of social media leaks through all the massive amount of bullshit. Yeah, that you have to I get tell you what to find it. I think the promise of Twitter yesterday was moving faster than Twitter wanted it to, because if you refresh Twitter, you would see different hot takes showing up in trending. And it really felt like someone at Twitter was just viciously scribbling the tweet, the trending page to make sure whatever. <laughs> wow. That's a hot take take was not trending. Too spicy. Too <laughs> yeah. spicy for trending. <laughs> Too spicy for trending. I'm sure they have a button. Too close for automatic. They have a button. Manual. <laughs> they were definitely scrubbing that page yesterday. Uh, another thing that I learned yesterday was, um, do you know where all the coolest shit in India is? The British Museum. Lorene, <laughs> what was your take? I saw that. The, the, it, the, well, uh, that we're aware of because, you know, the Queen's residences are not allowed to be searched for artifacts from other countries. That's like a law. So, <laughs> wow. I did not know that. Yeah. The, the corresponding tweet I got was like, hello world, now's the time to raid the British Museum. They're distracted. <laughs> Get your get your, get shit, your back. shit back. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I'm gonna be honest. I I don't um, get the hubbub of it all. Like, I mean, that we we had a, we had a, a very heated discussion with the British Empire about our feelings on monarchy about 200 and you know 40 some years ago. Now, I think it's kind of weird that they still have a monarchy. To be honest, like they have a functional democracy, but they also have this monarchy that exists alongside They're of it. Still like, the House of Lords. I wouldn't call it. Enough. You know what? No one has a functional democracy. <laughs> functional How about that? democracy. Literally, literally, no one has a functional democracy. Yeah, That's fair. I Especially think there now. needs to be there needs to be a word in the English language where you're like that means something like, "Hey, I understand that some part of the world is sincerely grieving over this event and they hurt, and therefore I hurt for them." 
but also I understand that there's a lot part of the world that hurts and because they hurt, they're angry at the person that caused all of this and they feel dramatically different. And I, I also understand that. And I just, I want everyone to be okay. Like, I don't know what word that is, but that's how I, that, that is where I am on this. I'm like, compassion I get, is the like, word you want. Yeah. <laughs> compassion. Uh, em, em, empathy. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, I mean, you can absolutely see, but I just, I, it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's hard for me to understand like the uh, draw or the, the, the desire of the, like the British people to like keep this vestigial form of government around as like a, a figurehead of state kind of a thing. I mean, maybe they did. I, I'm assuming they make a, a lot of tourism dollars off the whole thing, but sure. uh, it just seems kind of strange. That's all. To like still have a royal family when you have a, I don't know. It's just very strange to me. And I mean, there's strange things all over the world that are much, much stranger really than is. that. Lorraine, what's on your mind today? Uh, I don't get liking anyone who has power over you. Full stop, period. <laughs> Real quick, the thing that immediately came to me, I don't you probably don't remember this, Lorraine. There was a point where you were talking to me when you were my boss and I must have done something dumb. And I remember saying, look, I'm sorry. I just have a problem with authority. And your response was, I know, I've met you. <laughs> That's why we get along. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, All right. I'm, uh, I have a lot of compassion for people who are sad, but I do not get it. Because, like, oh, you know what? I actually learned the other day that my parents had never heard of the Trail of Tears. So it's entirely possible that the British public is not taught about enclosure. But, you know, probably, unless you are a lord, you know, some of your relatives were hung for poaching a rabbit or fishing. So, I don't know. That's not cool to me. I don't like that stuff. I think every <laughs> single human being is a wild, uncontrollable animal that does not understand how the things that have happened to them affect the programs that run in their brain. And so we should not give any of them power. Period. Everyone yeah. is quiet so, now. <laughs> no, I was like, just oh, thinking I mean, about like, bananas. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is I mean, my no, hot we take like, on I'll power. Like, oh, yeah, that's... that's no, no, that's it's because you were talking about all people, and it just, for some reason, it triggered this memory of a, of a some kind of talk on genetics where the, the, the guy that was the professor of genetics or whatever was like, human beings share between 10 and 15% of their DNA with bananas. Like, that's how, like, just kind of, that's how you go back. And so they go to the Q&A session. The guy walks to the microphone and says, Professor, you said that, that we share between 10 and 15% of our DNA with bananas. Are you implying that some people are more banana than other people? <laughs> and I, was, <laughs> I will never forget. I will never forget that. That was one of the You, sir, are things. a full 15% banana. <laughs> you are more banana. All right. So now we I got can handle the, the right 15 now. percenters is now a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just make a patch with a banana and a fifteen percenter, like you know, on it? I fifteen bananas cool. lined up, something. Yeah. Oh, we got ourselves a fifteen percenter here. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, speaking of fifteen percenters, oh man, I feel like there may be some more in me. Uh, I'm not sure, right? <laughs> I, I mean, my uh, my, yeah, my opening thought is going to be very different and far less profound. I'm I'm tired of pests. Uh, <laughs> So I recently moved to Texas, and uh, we have fire ants here. And uh, where I moved from, we did not have fire ants. Uh, and I was in my backyard, 
last week, I guess it was. Uh, and one of my dogs had somehow gotten into the fire ants. They weren't bothering him. I had no idea Ooh. that they were on him until he rubbed against me and uh, loaded my leg up with fire ants who decided they needed to try and eat my leg at that point. They're the worst thing. They are, uh, they're not as annoying <laughs> right now as the Russians are to me. But I, I'm going to tell you, uh, I also had a reaction to those. I'm really trying to avoid the language I want to use right now. Uh, I had a reaction, and it was <laughs> it was like a golf ball. We'll just, I mean, it's it's John's uh, problem, really. Yeah, we'll like, just beep it out, you know, or not, or not. That's right. Um, <laughs> I mean, but it's not organic now, so it's too late, right? The the moment has passed. <laughs> the uh, but you know, the, so I had a reaction, and so my leg swelled up and itched for like the next four days. Like there was a a, a softball <laughs> underneath my skin at each of the bite locations. So I, I just hate those little bastards. That's uh, that's all I've got. It's not profound in any way. Uh, is anybody going to tell them about the snakes they have in Texas? Or I mean, that's a very different thing. I'm good with the snakes, right? Like, oh, because you can right. see, I can see like, them. Aren't, that's not, right. I do kind of want to like. I wish there was like some like. I wish you had a camera or something pointed out your yard because like JJ like jumping around and screaming at what appears to be like some kind of invisible like. Why do you guys pest, think like, ants are invisible? Well, I mean, from the purpose, like from a camera. I didn't say that they were invisible. But. What? <laughs> They're not like I'm vampires, dude. From a camera across the yard, it would look like there was nothing there, and he was just like jumping around and screaming. Jeez. It'd be funny to me. You guys uh, suck. <laughs> I just hate them. Uh, so you hate the ants or the? Yeah, I hate the ants. Or invisible I hate ants. Those little bastards. <laughs> I walk when around, I walk around flooding, with my poison. Did you get like those them. balls of them? The balls of ants? Yeah. Yeah. In, the, in the Amazon, that they're terrible murder ants. Whenever there's like a flood, they all yeah, uh, so, so fire root ants together do into this that. terrible oh, ball. Oh, yeah, fire yeah, yeah, ants yeah. Will, like, they don't get in a ball, though, I don't think. I've, I've heard. So I don't have, you know, I can't substantiate this, but I have been told by numerous people that fire ants will get on things, a bunch of them together when it's raining, and ride it like a raft to a new location. And yeah, like I, that. I can confirm that after it rains, whole new locations pop up of fire ants that did not exist before. So wow. after it rains, I go out with, you know, I put the dogs inside and I go out with the poison and maniacally uh, laugh as I'm poisoning them. Practically <laughs> Australia there. <laughs> I mean, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, Texas is absolutely, yeah, I, I think maybe the other way around, like Australia is like more like the global Texas, right? That's mean to Australia. <laughs> At least he didn't say global. No, Florida. Australia has good parts too. <laughs> Haven't <laughs> what's the what's the Austin of Australia? The Austin of Australia. Certainly That's not a good Melbourne. Question. Somebody's. Well, it's I mean, not uh, Canberra. Got to be said. Oh no, it's not. It's not Canberra. No, 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 not at all. That is the most boring place I think I maybe ever have been. <laughs> oh, we saw Summer Wars um, there, and that was great. Byron Bay seemed kind of funky, but some Rodgers is going to have to tell us. We're going to have to wait for Rodney to tell All us. Right. Like he'll, he'll he'll be able to tell us. Uh, I will say that uh, often friends of mine from Australia will compare uh, the, the, they compare Melbourne and Sydney to like Sydney's like the New York and Melbourne's more like L.A. And that that seems to be there. Neither of those cities are either is, of those things. No, it's not. <laughs> and they're fine cities, close. but they're not those things. 
Yeah, they're all four very, <laughs> very different places. I'm not sure how they. Maybe they mean that. Like I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we've been going for a while, so let's get to what we're supposed to be talking about today. When we when we started planning the episode, we I I, I know we've talked about Ukraine a lot uh, in the last few weeks. We've had lots of live streams. We've talked about it on the podcast a good bit too. But the the take that was kind of expressed when we were chatting about this was something that I think is a little bit different and definitely a more unique take than we've we've kind of used to look at this previously. So when we saw this troop buildup occurring, right, like leading into the invasion of Ukraine, there was, there was you know, the uh, sustained was a couple few months of like troop buildup pushing closer and closer to the border, military exercises, this and that, that really looked like it was leading up towards something. The, the talk then was that we were going to see this, this hybrid cyber and kinetic war like occurring at the same time. We should anticipate, you know, lots of things we like we thought we'd see you know several different versions of new not pet is happening uh over and over it isn't exactly the way that it all panned out one why two how did it pan out what are what have we seen right now in terms of um i guess the the way that was put we were talking about i think i think loreen you put it the contrasting like the fantasy of cyber war versus the reality that we've actually seen in practice on the ground. I don't know who wants to kick off. I don't think you need to ask one question because you asked 12. Which question do you want answered right now? <laughs> yeah, I was like, how do I start on this? Okay, <laughs> well, let's start with like what we, the, the fantasy of cyber war, what we thought was going to occur, what mm -hmm. was kind of in the news headlines versus what's been observed so far in reality. Oh, let's start that's there. That's broad okay. in the first case because you're like, we're going to talk to the fantasy of cyber war based on a single data point. <laughs> I think the fantasy of cyber okay. war is much, well, I think actual cyber war, when it comes off properly, will be much worse than the fantasy of cyber war that people have. Much worse. And this just happened to be, okay, worse and better is hard to describe in this case, right? <laughs> which, which one is worse and which one is better? But yeah, this, uh, they did not come out with the capability we expected is basically what we're saying, right? And so why right. is that? And all we can do is speculate, but one of the things that we talked about, we were kind of putting together what we we're going to talk about here, is I said, well, maybe they didn't, the, uh, the cyber teams did not have the lead up necessary to, to be prepared for this. And Mitch said, well, they were, you know, they had troop build up for months. And I was like, months is not enough time to prepare for cyber war. Years is enough time to prepare for cyber war, right? Or at least a year at the very minimum. So my question here is, when did Putin decide he was going to do this? And when did he let everyone else know? There, there was a lot of talk in the early days. I remember like people saying that there was a lot of secrecy. People didn't know what was going to happen until it happened that, you know, and that I guess, you know, kind of backs up what you're saying. Lorraine. Matt, what have we seen on the ground now that would compare to, you know, what's been observed that, and how does that differ to what we thought was going to happen at the outset? Green's telling us that there, there wasn't enough time to prepare. A possibility. Uh, that, a, a, that a possibility is that there was not enough time for them to prepare for a massive cyber war <clears throat> leading into it. Uh, I think, I'm not sure I agree with that, only because it's so active in Ukraine before then. It's not like you can, you can kind of draw that line. I think there was such consistent activity in Ukraine that 
that there was certainly time for them to have stumbled across the sort of setup that they would have needed to achieve uh, their ends if that was their intention. Um, so I mean, we just have to kind of go back to the kind of the bar for this is not Petya, right? So $10 billion worth of damage globally um, hit essentially every Ukrainian company and every company that did business with Ukraine throughout the world. It was a, it was the most strategically genius execution of an attack that I can think of. Uh, the, the malware itself was sleek and fast and very destructive. Um, the, the distribution methodology was pinpoint precise in what they were trying to, to deliver to. And so that's, that's a pretty high bar. Did we right, do development terms. analysis on that sample? Uh, we did like similarity analysis. And so they did. So some of the things that kind of stood out to me learning on that was like they use the um, eternal romance, um, some of the eternal mm -hmm. romance command and control methodology. But what they had done was went in and bitch switched. So it's, it's essentially this, the exact same layout if you look at it in Ida. But they chose different values for the um, command enumeration as they were. So if they sent out a four, it would do something different than if, say, the NSA had sent out a four. And so the NSA was the original developers of Eternal Romance. And, um, you know, it, it looked very much like just because of the way it was, it looked like they like kind of cut this kind of piece out of Eternal Romance and kind of bolted it on. And it looked very much the same. But the way they ordered it, you know, it, so Eternal Blue was part of the was part of the lateral movement piece of it. Hardly ever came into play. It was the last item on their list to try. They they opened, you know, with just like I'm going to steal the passwords out of memory, try to get to DC, and then just use Armon or or uh, some other typical Windows lateral movement piece. And it was incredibly effective in terms of of where it went and how it executed. Uh, once it got into place, um, the the reason that the targeting was so precise is that they went through a company called Medoc, which meant which is, was a company that wrote tax software for people that did business with the Ukrainian government, and it was like the primary software anyone used. And so the targeting piece was they want to affect and punish people who either are in Ukraine or do business with Ukraine. That's about the most perfect set of companies you're going to find out of that. Um, I, the I'm looking at, and then we're looking, we go kind of, we kind of teleport forward back now into 2022 and, and JJ and I are watching the first, it was, I mean, it, it started even beforehand, right? JJ, so we'd had some, some attacks earlier. Um, the attacks that we saw pre um, invasion were familiar, right? So like one of the early ones uh, they went after, a company that managed websites on behalf of the Ukrainian government and managed to, to leverage that to get access to these. But then like what kept failing was they never, they never stuck the landing. Like the best they got out of controlling all these government websites that, that we could figure out was, you know, a defacement. And, and that's kind of what I was getting at with the question, right? Like, what if the slick parts are someone else's and we just remove cyber from the question Mitch asked and we ask the question, how come this war isn't going as well for Russia on the whole? No. And, and maybe yeah. the answer is it turns out just like in the 90s, Russia is much better at putting out a front of power than they actually can back. 
That's part of it. That's part of it for sure. There are a ton of like really valid questions, even in the early days of the war. So, so to remind listeners, like, so originally there was the, not just the assault from, from the East, but also from the North, from Belarus and kind of coming down through trying to go after Kiev and they just stalled out and had no ability to maintain any kind of logistics supply to their frontline troops. And they eventually had to abandon that entirely at, at a fair cost. And so there are, there are, why don't you have your shit together questions throughout the Russian enterprise in Ukraine? But we've also seen some, some defining successes of Russian cyber capability have occurred in Ukraine in terms of like the black energy attacks and, and Petya and, and some other instances that, that we assisted with. And I just think that like I come down where I come down on why we haven't seen what some people would envision. And, and, and maybe I should frame what I think people envision. I think what they're envisioning is some kind of a coordination between kinetic elements and cyber elements where cyber capability is used to prep or enhance the battlefield for kinetic elements to be successful. That might be disabling communications, might be turning off power, it might be distracting, it might be, you know, it might be even like something as advanced as we saw reportedly in past like um, airstrikes where co- countries have gotten into the uh, surface-to-air missile systems and disrupted radar via cyber methods as opposed to some kind of jamming methodology. Like All those could have been on the table. And what we, the, the only thing that I've seen in this conflict where I can point to and go, that is the sort of thing that we were talking about was the KASAT attack right at in the early hours of the invasion where where they bricked a whole bunch of ground stations for satellite service that was largely used by Ukrainian police and military elements. And that that kind of because you can draw like, okay, I've disabled the communications for my my adversaries, military assets. That's a win in any military doctrine, doesn't matter what you're doing. But then you you look any other time in this conflict and there is just a smattering of things that we're seeing, some of some of it we're seeing in places that rise our concern because of the kind of place it is, like it's power or it's or it's um, Internet or it's it's something else important. But like even the, I think the second most successful attack, I want to say it was like the, the Ukraine telecom attack where they essentially knocked down Ukraine telecom routing infrastructure for 24 hours. But it came right like like you could like watch the graph. It was literally down for almost exactly 24 hours, came right back up. We've seen no no impact that way. But we've also seen a failure across Russian military methodology where they can't seem to coordinate air and ground or sea and ground or logistics and whatever you're trying to do. There's that piece that I want to acknowledge. But I also think that just thinking more and more about it. And listening to, I think Lorraine kind of saying, look, you need a year to do X, Y, Z. Cyber activity is a strategic activity. And everything that we're thinking about in the war here are tactical things. And you cannot move at tactical speed, typically, unless you have thoroughly done your homework on, on, the, on the cyber side. And, and Russia had the, you know a long time where they were operating freely in the cyber networks, like, like not necessarily successfully, but they were attacking without problem um, or without feedback. And they should have been able to know everything they needed to know to really cause some very specific issues someplace. And we just never saw it. And that's the confusing piece. So I want to bring JJ in on a couple of this. And eventually I want to circle back around to the Viasat attack that you mentioned as well. 
But JJ, your role at Taos, for anybody that's listening that hasn't heard you on here before or, or hasn't seen any of other live streams or any other things that we put out on the topic, uh, you're the, you're, you run national security in region for Talos. And so why don't you explain a little bit about what your role is quickly. And then my question to you is you've seen dark energy, what Matt just mentioned. Uh, you've seen the kind of attacks that Russia has shown they are capable of in Ukraine dating back years and years. So what have we seen so far that could be considered offensive cyber capabilities that may or may not have worked, may or may not have been successful? Because this this is what you're doing all day, every day right now. Uh, you and you have teams keeping an eye on this. So tell us a little bit about what your role is in that regard. And then if you could move on to the three questions I just asked you, I just gave you a third lesson only. So yeah, right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to ask you again. Uh, <laughs> what some of those <laughs> what questions <am> were. <laughs> what the hell did you ask me, Mitch? Um, so, you know, in terms of, of our role in region, we developed strategic intelligence partnerships, um, and, and we had developed a number of historic strategic partnerships in Ukraine over the last, you know, six years through a lot of effort of a lot of people. Certainly then, you know, when Russia actually invaded Ukraine, Cisco as a whole put out this offer of, hey, we're going to you know, we're going to supply you, uh, if you're critical infrastructure, government, things of that nature, we're going to supply you with security tooling. And we're going to put together a team that that will help keep an eye on, you know, on what's happening from a cyber perspective. So, you know, really, that's kind of uh, a really brief way of saying what it is that we're doing. But that's that's what we did, right? So we're helping protect a large number of organizations uh, that fall under the government critical infrastructure umbrella uh, inside of Ukraine. And we're working with a lot of intelligence partners as well uh, that are uh, in country and obviously fighting the good fight. I think, you know, one of the questions that, that you asked is, you know, what have we seen historically? And, and, and I think that um, the, the Viasat attack that Matt mentioned earlier, right, that started occurring uh, literally hours before the kinetic uh, invasion uh, occurred. And, and that has now been attributed back to um, depending on who you look at uh, is doing the attribution, it, it, but it all ties back to GRU. Um, and, you know, to Lorene's point, this is something that um, they would have at least had a little bit of time, uh, not a year, not years, which is kind of how we classically like to think that these adversaries operate, right? They, they operate in strategic ways, gaining access, uh, placing multiple footholds, uh, over long periods of time. And, and, and they do so, um, one, because, you know, it's not easy to do a thing overnight. Uh, and two, you want to keep things low and slow, right? So that you're not necessarily observed. Um, so th there's a lot of factors that kind of come into play. These are these, you know, these, these groups like uh, to operate this way. This is what their typical op tempo or operational tempo looks like. You know, I think that Lorene also kind of hit the nail on the head earlier you know, she made the statement that uh, maybe nobody knew that they were going to be invading until, you know, Putin decided at the last minute uh, either that he was going to or that he needed to <laughs> include people in his plan. You know, oh, it turns out I need to tell my army I'm going to invade. Who, who would have thought about that from a kinetic and a cyber perspective? I'm sure the, you know, the actual kinetic side of things had a pretty good idea of what, we, what was going on, kind of like the rest of the world did since, you know, everybody's amassing on the border. You know, so again, I think, you know, they had at least a little bit of time uh, when we look at the Viasat attack. What what I don't believe is that they had tra the 
the amount of time that they would traditionally have, that they would like to have in order to gain not only the access that they need, but in order to gain the understanding or an understanding, excuse me, of the environment that they're in, right? Because I think, or maybe I'm just thinking about this. I don't know if, Matt, you said this a minute ago or not. If I'm in Viasat and I know that it is responsible, or I shouldn't say I know that it's responsible, I know that military assets, police assets, assets that I need to uh, target from, from an adversarial perspective if I'm Russia, I'm going to want to actually use that instead of bricking it, right? I'm going to want to use that for espionage purposes, potentially, potentially provide disinformation even over that system to to move troops around or keep troops from moving or make them think that a battle is not occurring in a certain location, right? All, all kinds of things that you would want from a kinetic perspective. So the fact that they didn't do that, that the ultimately the malware that was dropped on these devices that bricked them was by almost all all analysis, pretty rudimentary and not indicative of somebody who really knew what they were doing in that system, uh, tells me that they didn't have the time maybe that they would have liked to have to develop that more, right? They got in and they inflicted the damage that they had the capability to do at the time, given the limited amount of access, or not even necessarily access, but understanding that they had in that environment, if if that makes sense. Part of it is we fetishize like like hacking and offensive capabilities and also as humans like fear and overestimate the unknown sometimes. And so when we're trying to imagine what could happen, we just have, it's just, it's just, we're powerless in front of these, these mighty behemoths. But I thought about that video I sent you the other day of, of the Humvee with the 50 cal gunner uh, who had like the rockets at his feet. And I'm like, there is no equivalent to that. In like eight of them. Yeah, he yeah, just they just kept rockets. coming out of the bottom of that. That Humvee was stuffed with rockets. <laughs> they there's no equivalent to that. If, if if you have a tank and someone says, "I need you to destroy that building," you have the tools available to you. And and just just the the mechanisms of war are not necessarily they don't fit well with the this cyber war kind of thought process, right? Like if I'm a if I'm a battlefield commander and I'm like. In order for me to minimize casualties and to maximize my success, I have got to have the power from that damn off. I can either trust the pale little pizza eating <laughs> back that I've never met, or I can just put a bomb through that thing and I know it will never be a problem for me again. I know which I'm picking, right? And so it just, like, I, I don't know that the people who design the plans that go into this necessarily. I wouldn't have bought into this kind of combined arms idea. I want, I like definitive things that shut things off and I don't have to worry about it, especially with, with the Russian army's kind of propensity for like just grinding whatever they're going after into gravel. Anyway, they don't seem to particularly care. So I don't, I just don't see where, like, I don't think there's a failure here on the Russian side in terms of cyber activities. I think there's a, just a general disinterest in using it in the ways that we have fantasized it being used in the West. I think it's still also, you know, realistically speaking, it's a very immature domain from a warfare perspective. And, you know, what I, what I mean by that is, sure, we as practitioners um, from an information security perspective see, you know, certainly what we consider very advanced attacks, right? Again, we look at NotPetya, we look at uh, the Viasat attacks, um, specifically attributed back to this enemy, um, kinetic warfare has has been around since before humans existed, right? Animals were eating each other. <laughs> but 
I don't know that I'd call that warfare, to be fair. But um, I'm sure they're throwing <laughs> rocks and stuff. Yeah. Like there's... But, you know, at the end of the day, kinetic warfare has had a really long time to mature, right? As a, as a civilization, we've gotten really good at killing each other, unfortunately. So is is that the thing? Like that's this the playbook on cyber warfare hasn't been written yet. I, it's it's like, still being written. Or... And I think we're still in the very you know we're we're still in the very beginning stages of it. If if I'm being honest, right? There is this this kind of fantasy that lives out there. I think to Matt's point, right? And, and an interesting thing about I think about kind of what the general public thinks about when you know when they're thinking about this kind of warfare and. And everybody's worried about something different. Nobody, Matt talked about this earlier, I think. Nobody really takes into account the totality that, that something could truly affect if there were, you know, if, if this level of warfare were at the level of kinetic warfare now, right? If somebody were able to come in and shut down banking and transit and power kind of all at the same time, right? Everybody's always kind of worried about one thing or the other from a general public perspective, but it, it's still so young, this this domain. Another thing here is that the amount of money that we spend on cyber weapons, or we as the world spend on cyber weapons, is so dwarfed by like a single (laughs) missile, right? Like if you spent, if you prepped as long as you did to build an aircraft carrier and you spent that amount of money, that fantasy is not big enough to encompass the chaos that you could create. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could destroy every desalination plant in the world. You could blow half of Europe off the earth by messing with a power plant. Right. Like you get a meltdown. It hits groundwater. You're going to blow Europe off the earth. We've already shown that you can mess with uh, uranium enrichment plants. Right. So uh, I mean, somebody did. We're not sure who it happened. Yeah. Right. Um, So so. I think yeah, you are correct in that the the prob the problem. The, <laughs> Don't pick up USBs in the parking lot. The kids. thing that that uh, we should all be grateful for is that we are alive at a time when this is not mature. Well, I mean, so far we're alive in a time where it's not mature. I think, but again, you know, it's been lifetimes of lifetimes, excuse me, upon lifetimes that kinetic warfare has has traversed to become what it is today. Certainly. Right? And and it's it's it is an interesting statement, Lorene, about what we spend on kinetic warfare, certainly, versus cyber anything. No, I think that's like just an economic decision, right? We're like, what do we want to do? We want to permanently solve problems. Okay, well, that's a that's a kinetic activity, not a cyber activity. Yeah, it's like like you said, the, they're not confident in the pizza eaters yet, right? They haven't seen <laughs> yeah. materially what will happen if you give what? the pizza eaters an aircraft carrier salary. And, and we're saying that tongue in cheek, but let's be very clear that like, it's not just like, we're not talking about depending on pizza eaters. Like these are professional. I love pizza. Freaking don't diss pizza. I don't professional live in pizza eaters. basement. But no, there, 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 there is a way where, you know, this isn't, I, I, just, I, I don't want to come off as like that same pizza eater seeming as a pejorative. No, no. Like these are fully functional groups within military and paramilitary organizations around the world that are very professional what they do. Uh, it just sounds terrifying to me that they're going to get the budget that Lorraine's describing someday. Uh, we have to have that Script Kitties conversation at some point in some Beers with Talos. Probably not this one because it's an entire episode. 
Uh, I think I, but that is going to be an entire episode. Can I jump down and get a little bit more technical on the Viasat stuff? Because when we had talked previously about, you know, we're surprised that they killed it instead of taking control and gaining intelligence off of it. Actually, something occurred to me, which is that a lot of those older satellite modem setups are actually like the oldest VX works. And so if you want to actually drop a legit rootkit on there, it's, it's pretty tough to find a developer that's going to be able to deal with that. There, I've had a, several conversations with a, a good friend of mine who worked for um, uh, a company that makes like very specific kinds of cameras and technologies you know uh he was an embedded systems developer and the things that he's told me and this was back in the early 2000s uh you know first first few years of the 2000s and he's had a lot of conversation he's like if 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 you know the system it's terrifying what you could do if you're able to get into it he's like there's so much of what occurs on these high security you know government and and military grade cameras that um is effectively security through obscurity it's only safe because nobody knows how to operate it <laughs> and that's terrifying to me so i mean i think it's kind of a little bit of what you're saying here learning is like to get to exploit that system it takes a not just a very special set of skills but like a very like niche upon niche set of skills for somebody that understands that type of embedded system and then to be able to exploit it uh, and do what they will is is an extra special challenge, especially if, like we've theorized, that like there there was a a bit of a short notice there. It doesn't sound like a short order job. Nah, I think it would take me quite a long time to get spun up enough to actually make a legit. VX. And you're mildly good at this. <laughs> mildly, so. yeah. I mean, I could probably <laughs> I could probably whip one up for every architecture and every other operating system that actually has a kernel and a user land in pretty short order. Two, three months, but um, a payload for VXWorks would take a lot of reverse engineering and understanding of that very strange system. Old VXWorks. I want to miss a nuance. You're saying short order in this world is like two, three months is short order. <laughs> I, is, if you have any. That's so, an important little bit of nuance. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to design a missile, how long does that take? <laughs> two decades? More, right? more than a few months. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we designed the AIM 54 in like the 50s and then it got onto the Tomcat in the 80s or the late 70s, right? So. It's a long time. There's some lead up. Wow. And the the amount of money, to your point, again, stepping That's back to that. That's someone's whole damn spent career. That. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that is. That is somebody's whole career. That's their baby. Yeah. I think one, you know, one thing that um, that occurs to me also that, you know, you've, you've been seeing a lot of and hearing a lot about is, um, you know, has to do with corruption uh, as well, you know, within the Russian military. You know, I certainly think, again, I don't know. I don't know how accurate some of the reports are, I guess. Um, I'm just kind of throwing this out there, but it would make sense to talk, me. I was going to say, we can talk generically about like the problems of strong hierarchical organizations where information does not flow up very well because right. there's no incentive for people to tell their boss. <laughs> I didn't do the thing you told me to do. No, I did it. Going it's on. good. We're good. We own everything it, in the world. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> That's what I, I'm I getting at. I did actually hear a lot about that in the early days, uh, that there is culturally, that, that that has been part of the culture of many military. This isn't a problem strictly limited to the Russian military by any means, but there's a culture of appeasement. Yes, men. They're like, no, 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 we're ready. Like, don't say anything bad. Don't upset the brass. Like, just whatever you got to do to make it like, you know, that we're, we're all ready, all systems go. And that that could have been part of the issue also. I mean, on the kinetic side, 
but why would it not also apply That's what I'm saying. I think that there's applicability across the board, right? I mean, do you want to be shipped off to the gulag in Siberia? Probably not. So don't tell the boss that you didn't do the thing. thing Just tell the boss you did the thing. (laughs) While you guys were talking, I was going back and refreshing my memory. So Sentinel Labs published a review of what they called the Acid Rain Wiper, which they're claiming was the MIPS ELF binary that was uploaded to these devices. And they essentially just wiped key key flash locations and then forced a reboot. I mean, it has a number of, like, it's... Oh, know, they, didn't, they actually didn't do anything cool at all. No, that's what I was saying. They, it was, it no, was no, really no, rudimentary. They didn't... I mean, I mean, no, they didn't even hack anything, really. They got in through a misconfigured VPN, and then they sent a management command. So that that did yep. they did not even hack anything. This is like not even a. I'm not technically impressed at all. So I wouldn't even say no. that that was like a high end thing that they performed in any sense. But to back up, right? Like ultimately, while we would say, well, like like why I admire the technical work that was done in kind of the the layout for. Not pet you. What you're ultimately graded on is your effect. And in terms of effects, they got an A+. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, what I'm saying is the person that you would require to do that just has to get lucky enough to find a VPN. And then literally any person who can use a computer at a semi-high level, whether or not they're a hacker or not, could have performed that, right? There's no specialized information necessary except... Try the VPN. Yeah, you need to know what file systems are, and, <laughs> and then, and then, I mean, but to also to to look at this, where you know what you have to know is that you can delete everything that's not bin boot dev lib proc sbin sys user, and you'll still guarantee that you've bricked the device. That's what you need to know, because they 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 hit other elements of mainly in the dev uh, in, the, in the device piece and overwrote key pieces, and then forced to reboot. So, yeah, no, but I would, if, if I were like flat out guessing, they probably had this access for a while or knew about this and, and they were like, oh, we're going to invade. Oh, hey, check this out. I bet we could. And that's why it was, uh, it was a, 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 you know, I mean, it's a chop shop job, but it only has to be a chop shop job to like break a whole bunch of routers. To, to my memory, the solution for this from Viasats was essentially to ship out new modems, like thirty thousand of them, which is, which is about your best outcome. Like you, that's <laughs> that is an immense logistics difficulty to overcome. And again, this was this was to my mind the most strategically effective cyber um, event that I saw. Now we have seen um, JJ, and you'll have to like. Fucking shepherd me around to make sure that I don't share too much. But we have seen activity in places that remind us of me, Doc, that have that kind of like, oh, if things went wrong the wrong way in this organization, it would have systemic effects inside of Ukraine, right? And so I'm not going to get into any specifics, but we've definitely seen people poking around in places where you're like, oh, you're definitely up to no good. We're going to allocate the bulk of our response time in Ukraine to, to this issue, not because it looked particularly sophisticated, but because the cost of failure there was fairly high. They were in a good position. That's it. They they were trying to be in a good position, and 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 frankly, yeah. they continue to try to be. Right? It's it's and persistent, yeah. as one might expect. And part of, and part of our response was to frame what was happening there in the context of NotPetya, where we're like, "This is why we called you, and we're particularly concerned." Like, because you don't have to explain to 
like the power company why we're worried <laughs> but you, you you know certain certain kind of companies when you call them they're like well, who are you why are you calling us and we have to kind of walk you through like okay here's a little bit of history here's what we could envision happening from where we think they're trying to get um and this would cause notable issues across the country of ukraine I'm gonna put the uh, the write up that you shared there from Sentinel Labs. That was actually from our friend uh, Jags. Uh, I'm gonna put that in the show notes, okay. and we'll be able to, to so people can follow along with that. There was a couple interesting points in that post. Actually, I lost the last five minutes because I was still actually reading his post there. But I definitely want uh, the audience to be able to see that too. Before we go around to get uh, closing shots and parting thoughts, I want to give everybody an opportunity to kind of wrap up on this topic because we've we've bitten off a lot here and so if there's anything we need to resolve before we go back around the table now's the time to do that do we have to talk conti yeah remember that uh <laughs> remember that tweet they put out where they were like we are very patriotic people and so we are going to support our country and that seemed really strange to me because the mafia did not send like a division to vietnam <laughs> Right, like what crime organization is like? We are so happy to work on behalf of our government. But it, no, and we're and now we are we are way stretching my historical knowledge. I am pretty certain I had heard of some U.S. and U.K. special people working with mafia during World War II. That's different in Italy. World War that II was different because World War II because that was the Cold War. That's why no, because in in World War II these organizations were also threatened, which is different than a war where you were trying to expand territory and your people are not I, threatened. I think if those organizations are in Russia, they're probably feeling the effects of, to some extent, of the sanctions that have gotten Certainly. in. Yes, I believe in the instances where the allies were aligning with like mafioso-type forces, like they were the home team, Right. Like they but were, so like, were the bad hey, guys. We, that's the weird thing about Italy at that time. Is that right, I mean, when your homeland <laughs> is at threat. You know, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I, again, we're on the, you know, I'm sure like some video game is like intruding into my thought process. So I'm probably way wrong. But, but, um, <laughs> that's why I said Vietnam specifically, actually. You have to remember, like, like as you're trying to play through this, that while these people are bad criminal people, they're still human beings with complex set of relationships to the entities, organizations around them, including Russia. And it may be that they're highly patriotic and also bad people. And they've benefited from a government that has ignored them at worst there and encouraged them at best. Now and, they and want there's certainly there is certainly evidence that they have actively worked with like the FSB and some other organizations in Russia. But but it's also possible that they're just, you know like any other person in a country, very proud of the country that they're in. And they have a special set of skills that they have been taught they can leverage without penalty. And so unlike, unlike in the United States, where I don't think we have that kind of underground, non-managed group of people, um, most of the attackers that I'm aware of have also worked directly like for official organizations that have done that. I don't know, you know, I don't think there's like a criminal element that kind of is, is spreading these skill sets below us. So, but it exactly, counter, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Conti is a business, right? They've got PTO, they've got uh, business managers. They have customer Their service Their job team. is to make money. Most of the time, companies are not like, oh, we're just going to stop making money for you to go 
play Soldier Boy. And I, I don't think that they were going to do that, though. And Conti, Conti paid a price for that That's announcement, right? right? That, that, that organization fractured. Right. Uh, it, like, there were elements of it, like, plenty of malicious criminal actors in Ukraine. And so there were elements that were working with Conti. So there is a cost, but, you know, if ultimately organizations like Chuck Robbins is a human being that runs Cisco... And to some extent, when he talks about what he thinks, he certainly takes into account Cisco's best interest, but it's also a reflection of how he feels about things. And so, and it's, and that's true when I talk about things, you know, I'm representing Cisco on this podcast, but I'm certainly sharing my personal views on a lot of things and not like the official Cisco line. And so when, when Conti talks or Cisco talks or, you know, or when the United States government talks, it, there is some element of the person that is delivering that that's incorporated in that. And if all of your people are like-minded citizens of Russia, maybe they all think, hey, this is a time for us to use our skills with wild abandon on the cyber battlefield. We've certainly seen hmm. evidence that that's the case. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially the wild abandon part. Like, whatever dumbass thing they thought they could get away with, we've seen. And even things they didn't think they could get away with, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they <laughs> threw a lot of stuff. They're like, this is never going to work. Yeah. I think one of the things that I would highlight that's been a little bit interesting, um, you know, we note that the, kind of the Conti tweet, and then there was certainly a follow-on tweet from Conti saying, oh, we're not so sure if we're that way. And then the fracture happened to Matt's point. But I think, you know, one of the things that we observed also early on in and some of the actions and infrastructure that was being used by different operators within these groups, we saw a really interesting kind of like blend of like just shit script kitty, low level cyber criminal type activities. And then all of a sudden, oh, in this same from the same kind of the same operator that we're tracking within this group, this higher level action on target that you're like, this, this just doesn't fit. And then all of a sudden they drop this really complex wiper, for example. So I think that will be, that'll be a really interesting thing to kind of to kind of track and keep an eye on. But it, it really kind of speaks to me about, I don't know, there, there's a couple of different ways that I guess that I could take that. But I think that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. And maybe even for, you know, for a future conversation, kind of even about the script kitty stuff that, that you guys are going to have uh, and and kind of weird sprinklings of nation state actions <laughs> inside of inside of these cyber criminal organizations. All right, and that's where we go into our closing thoughts and parting shots. Same order as last time. Matt, you're up first. I've been thinking about this. Like I don't know uh, You've literally sent 6 tweets in the channel since we started this. You could probably pick any one of them. Okay, 3 tweets. You don't know anything about <laughs> You're not reading them. <laughs> I, I we've talked I, I think I think what I, I would spend my time kind of saying that what what I've said to a lot of reporters when we've talked about Ukraine and that is the cyber it is the least of things that are happening over there and just as a a call out that we recognize that um, it is the part that we are very talented at and is the part that the Ukraine government has asked us to help them with so that's the part that we concentrate on but don't for a moment think that we ever forget, especially given that we have friends and colleagues um, still in, in country, um, the very, very real human cost of what's happening over there. Lorraine, closing thought, parting shot. Uh, um, all right, I got two. I got another uh, movie recommendation. Saw okay. everything, everywhere, all at once. 
Definitely yep. one of my top yep. films of all time. It's really hard to make a movie where there that makes you laugh. There are dildos, uh, there are fight scenes, and sometimes you cry. <laughs> like that's that's a tall order. Sounds like Friday night. <laughs> no, but you're not in the film. You're just watching it. That's the thing. You're in the film. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. And then secondarily, I'm not going to use uh, this person's name because I did not ask them if it was cool to do so previously. But there is someone in the security community and has been for a long time and has contributed quite a bit uh, to the community. And every time I've spoken to them, they have been both of the kindest and smartest person, apart from Skylar Ramprasad, that I ever talked to. And, um, you know, they always take the time to answer my questions. Uh, They're far smarter than me, but they are having uh, a real tough time and going to probably be in the same situation that Matt and his wife found themselves in that he spoke about last time. Um, so send good thoughts to good people. And that's all I got. JJ. I think I would, um, on a serious note, I would definitely echo and amplify Matt's statement. You know, we're, we are proud to help where we can help. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of laughing and kind of um, not on, on this call uh, or on this call on this podcast. And, you know, we have to do that to maintain our sanity. But, you know, I guess what I would say is, you know, to the people of Ukraine, keep up the good fight and, and Godspeed. I think the world is sitting in amazement um, by what is being achieved. I think that that's, that's no, no, no small feat. I'd say I'd start on a serious note. I don't even have a not serious note to end on after that. You know, trying to keep my eyes from getting watery or something. <laughs> No, that's a good place to that's a good place to call it. I think for today, so I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, stay tuned and, and join us again in a couple weeks when we'll talk. Maybe maybe we'll do a script kitty episode next. We'll see how that how that plans out next time. Uh, but until then, stay safe, stay secure, and uh, cheers. See you. See you soon.